Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is January 11, 2023, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Why don't we have a word of prayer and we'll begin. Thank you, Father, for this time we have uh, this evening. We thank you for life, health, and strength, and we're just pleased that we're here, able to focus our attention and shift gears uh, so that we can be ready to look into your word and the book of Romans. We thank you for um, this group that we're able to continue to cover this, these chapters and verses the way we have. We pray uh, in thanksgiving for Dwight bringing, bringing him back safely and we pray for all of our word is truth. Uh, we know what befalls issues, uh, uh, the things that are happening within our our, our local body. You know, we pray for healing, uh, Father, for those who are mourning. Uh, as we live in this world, you said we would have trouble, and sure enough, we have it. So when these things happen, Father, we look to you. Also, we pray for wisdom as we approach the verses before us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we have been studying, as you know, in Romans chapter 11. We're going to try to look at verse 31 today. So this is where we are, Romans 11, 31. This is what it says. So they too have become disobedient in order that they too, I'm sorry, yeah. So they too have become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. You know, as I was going through these two verses, I said, man, last week I thought, these two verses are very similar. I should take them together. And then I, as I looked through it, I said, oh, there's some things to work through here. And 30 and 31 could be a little confusing. So I thought it'd be best if I took them separately. So that's where we are. We covered last week's verse, which was, just as you, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, and then 31, so they too now have become, they too now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. There's a lot there, really. So let's see if we can unpack it a little bit. So you should have notes. There are some circumstantial realities that can be seen in the history of the Jews and Gentiles. First, we can see that Israel is under discipline now. For Israel, this is clearly negative. However, there are some positives to see from their disobedience. One clear gain is the church was ready to be built. As a result, Israel will again be a nation God intended it would be, be the nation God intended it would be. Another thought, uh, could God also use the church to show Israel how it's done? Quote, in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection 
brought reconciliation to the world, <clears throat> what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That's Romans eleven fourteen through 15. So this is where we are. We're going to just see if we can dig in a little bit. Uh, this first phrase, so they too have become disobedient. So here are some points around that. Become disobedient. And I just thought the NIV doesn't fully give... Uh, well, I guess become disobedient could be a, an okay translation. But just notice that is our word, apatho. So it, it is that same word we found in John 3.36 where it says, he who believes in the Son has life, but the, he who refuses to believe will not see life. God's wrath remains on him. So that <clears throat> word, patho, or apatho, is, and this is what it means, is not allow oneself to be persuaded, to refuse or withhold belief. Refuse belief or obedience. Not to comply with. And all that came from Thayer. So, I guess disobedient is okay, right? I like, but I like the thought of apatho because it goes with what we saw from Israel resisting the Holy Spirit. Like, like it says in Acts 7, 51, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, just as your forefathers did, so do you. So this is interesting that NIV translated it that way, uh, but uh, I wonder what the ESV had to say about that particular verse. Let's see. Um, For God has consigned all to disobedience. No, that's 32. So they, too, have now become disobedient. They gave it the same... They have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. They didn't do much different, but I just wanted to bring out apatho because of the refusal to be persuaded. <laughs> Who's persuading them? God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So that's interesting. Point B, let's keep moving. We got a little time, uh, Israel became disobedient. Well, currently Israel is sleeping under discipline. It appears that God is not going to use it, is not going to use the church and Israel at the same time. So uh, as you look over the history, and we look, we're looking at the church age, and we realize that Israel is conveniently disobedient at this time and under discipline. And the church is now fulfilling that role. And so it just appears that Israel takes her, God takes a, a, a break with Israel because of discipline. He begins with the church. Now, when, as soon as the church is gone, what happens? He picks up with Israel again. So it, it is apparent that Israel and the church are not on the ground at the same time. It, and what does God do for the church? It is not just an extension of Israel and the Mosaic law. It is a new purpose altogether and a new dispensation. So we can see uh, God's purpose being worked out 
behind the scenes, uh, bringing many sons into glory. Point number C, God did not make them disobedient. We just want to make, uh, that. this is a point to make. This was their own doing. And I just took from Romans 10, two verses, just to, to point this out. And Romans 10 is pretty telling about why Israel failed. But Romans 10.1 says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And I took all the way to the last verse of 21, and it says, But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So we see Israel... We know what the story is. Uh, God, in mercy, he held out his hand, the hand uh, where he would certainly have welcomed Israel back. He would have uh, healed them and uh, brought them back to their former uh, national glory. However, Israel refused. They They were stubborn. Obstinate is the word that is used. So this is quite, uh, you know, we can't say this is something God worked out. He, he kind of lulled or put Israel to sleep on purpose or something so he could bring them. No, this was what happened. Israel was disobedient. And not just because of what happened with Christ, but because of their own doing. Point D, in God's timing, He can accomplish his perfect will, even though our free will is in full bloom. So notice this. See, God saw this coming. It wasn't a surprise to God. It just so happens that God's timing and the timing of their disobedience sort of worked itself out. So even though, as I say, free will, a free will of man, that is, was in full bloom, God works through um, the agency of what's going on on this earth. Now, there will be some times when God shows up and he, he determines to do certain things. But generally speaking, man has a tremendous effect of, on what goes on. God just knows it and works through that. So uh, point E, this leads us into point E. Through man's disobedience, God can accomplish two important callings, and that's Israel and the church. And when we think about that, that's both our callings. And the same words are used for both groups. You could say the church is elect, you know, predestined, foreknown, all that. And you could say the same thing about Israel. Israel was predestined, foreknown, elect, called, chosen, all that. And so the same words are used for both groups, although, but not for the same purpose. Israel's calling had to do with the earth. Our calling has to do with heavenly places, even though we're here and God uses us while we're on the ground uh, and Israel is asleep. We discussed that. Now, I got this quote from R.B. Theme Jr., and I felt like it makes the most sense, and I like uh, the way he says he came up with this thought. Now, I, I, I got quotes around this, but I can't honestly say that 
I found the quote. I think it's somewhere in one of his books. Uh, but this is what the quote said. God decreed that his sovereign will and man's free will will, or should be, would coexist. So I'm correcting my notes. Something like that to that. Now, I may be paraphrasing, but, but it says, I think that is concisely said, is that it is by God's decree that man would have free will and that God's sovereign will would exist together. And we are seeing that as we look at how it all worked out between Israel and the church. You know, we could say circumstances led us to, to this, right? Well, what was the circumstances? Well, Israel was disobedient and God put them to sleep. Well, those were the circumstances. Just so happened that the timing of it all, just like we read before, when the, God said when the time had fully come, he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. So that adoption to sonship. Yeah. So we could see how even man's disobedience, uh, and there, we were free to be disobedient, that, but God saw through it and is still able to bring many sons into glory and to accomplish his eternal purpose. So that's amazing to think about, that God is able to do that. Let's keep going. Point F. Both callings contribute to God's eternal purpose. Quote, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Ephesians 3 and 11. So when we think about the callings, we already discussed Israel definitely has a calling. They are God's earthly people, even though we are uh, playing a role right now. It is clear from Romans 11 that it is a temporary role and that Israel would assume that responsibility again very soon. Well, we say very soon, but as soon as the rapture happens and God removes the church from the earth scene. And so the calling that we have now is a part of God's eternal purpose. But really, both callings contribute to God's eternal purpose. Now, we can certainly say that of Israel, right? That God would not have called. Everything is, is as a result of God's eternal purpose to call many sons into glory. So the church certainly is God's focus. We are those many sons. But also, we can see that God brought Israel on the scene and Christ came through the nation Israel. He and the salvation plan and all that ensued about who he was in this world and, and how we are in him as the last Adams. And not, not many people recognize that Christ is not just, he's not just somebody who came along and is sinless but he's the last Adam well it says it in the scripture but this is the thought he created a brand new creation for those who are in him and obviously the baptism of the spirit and we know the mechanics of it but mainly 
this is the objective of God for his eternal purpose. He accomplished it. So point, that was point F. So we're going to um, go to uh, the second phrase. So the first phrase is, so they too have now become disobedience. Point two is, in order that they too may now receive mercy. And we saw that when it says, so they too have now become disobedient. He's referring to the Jews, just like Israel. I'm sorry, just like the Gentiles were disobedient prior. And we covered that last week. Um, and it was bad. <laughs> Some of the things the Gentiles were involved in. But the, now the Jews are in the same boat as uh, considered disobedient. Although the Jews have uh, different trends than the Gentiles. Nonetheless, um, they become disobedient, resistant to God. So point number two is, is basically saying, in order that. So there seems to be a purpose, because we have a purpose clause here. In order that, we do have uh, our word, Hina, which we'll come to in a sec. So the first point is, Israel will receive mercy in this case, not because of our disobedience, as a result of God's mercy to you. Right? So does that make any sense, right? Israel will receive mercy in this, in, in this case, not because of our disobedience, but it's as a result of God's mercy to you. So what, what I'm trying to say, or what I think the Apostle Paul is saying here, is that because of us, and when I say us, I mean the church, that um, Israel will become envious of who we are. And as a result, and this is why I gave that phrase in the opening, as a result, Israel will want their role back. Uh, it, will, it will sort of propel them or help to ignite them to take their role back. As soon as the church is gone, we know that that's the first order of business for God is to turn to Israel and turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them and so forth. So when we... So the, it's interesting. So the Gentiles received, they were disobedient. Um, and Israel was supposed to be the people of God who, was, who would minister to the Gentiles. However, the, the Gent, because of Israel's disobedience, uh, we receive mercy. Right? And, and so... The, but notice what it says, in order that, that, the fact that we receive mercy, in order that they too may now receive mercy. Now, how are they going to receive mercy? How would Israel receive mercy as a result of our having mercy? So we receive mercy. It's a little different. We receive mercy because of their disobedience, but, because of, but the fact that we now have received mercy, they can receive mercy. That's how it's saying it. So let's go through it. I think I explained some of this in detail down further, but 
It sounds sounds awfully confusing. Well, let me just let, let me just go through point B, and then we'll see what point C does help us. Disobedience has fallen upon Israel now, in order that, in other words, this is where they are, so that they too can receive mercy. What, let's just clarify, what does it mean to receive mercy? What does it mean? Does it mean just that God is gracious to them and provides salvation? Is that it? Nope, that's not what it means. It's the same thing as what we had read before, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Well, what does that mean? It means all Gentiles are saved? Nope, it just means that now the Gentiles are included in a calling. And anybody who's not uh, Israel is referred to as a Gentile. So, so the calling from God from eternity past was upon the nations, and it, including those who were Jews who joined in could be part of this calling. But it's expressed here by Paul as having mercy. So, so let's look at point B again. Disobedience has fallen upon Israel now in order that uh, they too can receive mercy. So this disobedience that followed, this where they rejected their Messiah and all that, well now, as I said, the church is in place and we receive mercy. Mercy means we are in a calling now, just like Israel was. But from that, God is saying, Israel is going to also receive mercy. So let's just say it again, in order that they too may re now receive mercy. Point C, let's keep going. Receiving mercy means that God will restore Israel to their rightful place. Okay, this is the same thing as salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. That's Romans 11, 11. So how, we could say that Gentiles receive mercy. That's what it says. And what does that mean in context? It means Gentiles became uh, the ambassadors for God, so that Israel can receive mercy, so that Israel can can then again pick up the mantle and uh, become the called of God again in the world. So I think that's, that's how I'm looking at these verses. Uh, but I, I think as we keep going, it will round itself out even more. So point number three, as a result of God's mercy to you, right? So in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So, so the, it, there's something that throws us off a little bit in, in this phrase of, in point two, in order that they too may now receive mercy. So it makes it sound like Israel's back in play. But notice it's as a result Point number three is as a result of God's mercy to you. God's mercy to us, us Gentiles, that is, who are, who are not Israel, is uh, there's a re as we're looking at the disobedience to Israel, well, God turned to the church and Israel is becoming envious 
of that. So what it, what what is what eventually happens is Israel takes their place once the church is gone. That seems to be how this plays out. Let's look at a few points along those lines, and then we'll close. God's mercy to the church, that is, the church taking over the responsibility belonging to Israel, leads to Israel receiving mercy. It leads to it. That is, being restored to their rightful place. So I'm hoping that is clear. And we can talk about it a little more, maybe in Q&A, if there's some... This seems like a clumsy way I'm approaching this, but if, if it is not clear, we do have some opportunity to at least hash it out a little better. Let's read that again. God's mercy to the church, which meaning that he called the church, that is the church taking over the responsibility belonging to Israel, that's what it means, leads to Israel receiving mercy, that is being restored to their rightful place. We saw this played out quite a lot in um, some earlier verses in Romans 11. So for instance, verse 16, if part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, though a wild uh, olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Uh, so this whole thought is to say that we're not the olive tree. Uh, that is a part of what God created through the nation Israel. It is not something that Gentiles have. And we kind of went through a lot of those thoughts. So this is, this is kind of helping us understand that there are uh, some results to... We could look at Israel's failure, and we could look at the Gentiles' failure as just completely terrible and bad. But God is showing us that through these failures, his plan is being worked out. So on the, from our perspective, we could look at this and say, utter failure. God's perspective, he sees our utter failure, but he is also seeing how uh, he is still able to accomplish his eternal purpose through it all. So let's go forward. Point B, this speaks of Israel being restored to its rightful place. And this is Romans eleven twenty nine, which we read, for God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So he will not take back what he started with Israel. He saw it through, clear through to the end of Israel. So he, he will not take back what uh, he started with Israel. He will not remove them from all the promises that he made. It also speaks of the church performing the temporary role. right? So God, we got this role, but Israel will eventually get it back. That's what it is to say. Uh, so, point C. The church accomplishes a greater goal of God. And when I say a greater goal of God, you know, I mean his eternal purpose. So, aside from these benefits seen in the verse. So, even though he doesn't talk about the fact that the church has a greater role. 
that the eternal purpose of God that was hidden from Israel and all angels and everybody and kept hidden in God is what he terms his eternal purpose, Ephesians 3, 8 through 11. That's, to me, the highest goal of God, bar none. Yes, Israel was called and foreknown and chosen and all that stuff, but God has a greater purpose for creating all things. And not only is it seen by uh, him hiding this information from all mankind, angels, uh, and, but, uh, and revealing it at this particular time, but the fact that we are baptized into Christ becoming new creations and we have, we're, we're part of this eternal purpose of God. Uh, that is said to be the highest purpose of God. It's not to say that Israel is lesser. It is to say that, because their purpose is certainly uh, necessary, but it is to say that God's ultimate goal in all of this has to be the church. That everything else is a component part of getting us to the place where God is able to call out those many sons into glory. So is not necessarily played through, Paul has not really brought, brought it out here, but he did bring it out in Romans 8 in particular. And when he reached the pinnacle of, of some of these things in Romans 8, he also came back with who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. And then he went through that whole thing because he was... In his mind, he needed to help us understand who would bring a charge. Romans 9 took us to uh, Israel's arrogance and in thinking that they could tell God uh, what he, he, he should do in terms of his eternal purpose. That he can't, it, it was not legal for him to switch from uh, Israel to the church. Like it says, it's not as though the word of God has failed. It, it is not. God had a purpose in everything he did. So it wasn't just calling Israel, but it is his greater purpose is the church. Or I should say greater goal. Point D. The church, not the nation of Israel, becomes ambassadors. And Israel and the world become the mission field. So that's what's going on right now. And um, the scripture I could include there is 1 Corinthians. Let me just turn to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse <clears throat> 32 and 33. It says, Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. So you got three groups there. Jews, the Greeks, Greeks are representative of Gentiles, or the church of God. Three groups. And before it was just Jews and uh, Gentiles. But now the church of God is on the scene. And then he says, uh, verse 33, Even as I try to please everyone in every way, so I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, 
so that they may be saved. And now the church is already saved. However, uh, it is not Paul's objective to offend anybody that's in the church as well. But the goal of the church of God, because you can't be in the church of God unless you are saved, but Jews and, and Gentiles are the mission field for the church. Not just, it's, it's kind of like reverse if you think about it, because the Jews had that role, right? And it was the Jews and the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were the mission field, but that's reversed. So let's read that again. The church, not the nation Israel, becomes ambassadors, and Israel and the world become the mission field. Both have the privilege of God's call to the world of unbelievers to work with God for redemption. So when we think about that, what is our role? It is ministers of reconciliation. So we are helping God. We're helping God uh, by going out in the world and telling them, whether they're Jews or Gentiles, to be reconciled to God. And um, obviously that was what Israel was supposed to be doing in the Old Testament. However, they failed miserably. Um, but by their, the jealousy that they see, the church now has this role. It is clear that the church had the role, even from its inception, through the signs, wonders, and miracles that were performed, that God had launched out into a new direction. Israel still resisted and said no, and they resorted to violence. And they killed those who, the best they could. That's why it says, uh, in it, that as far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies on your account. Uh, so they did their best to resort to violence, killing those who would be now ministers of reconciliation. So what a, what a reversal, right? Now God calls another people, the Gentiles, and actually the word Gentiles means nations. So the, the other, and this refer, not Israel nation, Israel's nation, the other nations. But now that the church is in place, then the, Israel, the nation Israel, is in the mission field because they are disobedient. They are resisting God at this point. So we are all in the business of, Israel was in the business of reconciliation, ambassadors to the world, but now of, through their disobedience, the church is in that place of reconciliation. And it's a privilege to help God in this manner. Remember, God does not need us. He could approach each person. It is a privilege. That's why I say it is not that God has to have this. It's a privilege for us to, to participate in the work of the gospel. So we're going to pause at this point to see if there are any thoughts, questions, ideas that you'd like to discuss? And if <laughs> some of the things that we talked about was not clear, uh, don't hesitate to raise that. I would certainly will, will dig into it again if necessary. But the floor is open.
Um, I had a thought about the the timing of, of this. Sure. Um, and I and I'm pretty sure I brought this up before. Um, where we see um, in the beginning of the church age, um, which was pivotal around uh, the day of Pentecost, um, we saw that there were um, believers who, um, depending on whether they lived or died before Christ was crucified and rose again, um, that it would determine whether they died as believers in Israel, um, or as, well, not at the time of Israel, or if they would survive into the church age before they died. And we know that, um, well, the, the baptism of the Spirit wasn't necessarily, didn't start out immediate, where everybody who was a believer, um, you know, was, you know, instantly baptized by the spirit um there was there was some um non-normative um belief um belief in baptism uh processes that happened at that time mm-hmm. um and, that, and we see the same thing coming at the time of the church age transitioning back to you know, fulfilling this temporary role as ambassador mm-hmm. and passing back the baton to Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's centered around the event of the rapture. Mm-hmm. Um, however, unlike uh, being a believer at the time of Israel waiting for Pentecost, um, if you are a believer in the church age, you are going to be baptized into the church. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a black and white all or nothing situation at that time. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. In fact, uh, well, okay. I would say if you say it was black and white, we'd have to say from our perspective it's probably gray, because but but you're right. It is black and white because there's no definite no doubt about it. If you're saved. And you, that means you're baptized into the body of Christ. That is, it's either or, right? There's, there's, you can't have people who are not saved in the body of Christ. So when we leave, then you, I, it, you may have thought you were in the church. Right? This is what I mean by gray area. This great dividing line will be the case. Uh, there won't be any middle ground. Well, I'm working on being saved. and Or, you know, I, I've been in the church for a lot of years. And, uh, and, and, but they never believed in Christ. Look at Nicodemus as a good example, right? Very religious person. I don't think Nicodemus is you know, someone who is uh, atypical. I think Nicodemus is someone who is typical of religious people in his day. And they had been serving, and they were thinking, serving God all this time, very religious, very strident, you know, when it comes to keeping the law, but they were not saved. Nicodemus was not alive to God. So, yeah, I think you're, you're referring to that period where 
the dividing line happens. And, um, you know, I like what it says in Isaiah chapter 28, where God says <clears throat> he's going to send... Well, I could read it really quick. We have a little time. Let's... So there's a dividing line for Israel as well. And this was, this is what God says in Isaiah. I'm going to it, 28. So he says, um, Therefore, this is verse 14, Hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast we have entered... Yes, you boast we have entered in the covenant with death and with the realm of the dead and made we have made an agreement when an overwhelming scourge sweeps by it cannot touch us but we have made a, our, a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. We're the people of God but we're not representing God. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuse, refuge. The lie and the water will overflow your hiding place. I like it because that is what happened when Jesus came. He, people had to make a decision. They, no more could you hide under the guise of, I'm an Israelite, I'm, keep, I'm the Pharisee, or I'm whatever you're, you were saying. This was the dividing line. And this is where you get those scriptures like, uh, I have not come to send peace on earth, but a sword. I have come to turn a father-in-law against the mother, mother-in-law against the daughter. against Why? Because Jesus divided even family relationships. He came, I mean, people, there were some who said, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. There were others right in the same family who said, no, Jesus is not. And they became enemies, one of another. So that dividing line happened for Israel. But in the church, it's going to be very visible because if you are here after the rapture, that means you did not believe in Christ. I don't care what you said. I don't care what you thought. You did not believe in Christ. But go ahead, Dwight. I don't know if... Uh, I, I'm probably off the beaten path here. But go ahead. No, that's all right. I, I, don't think my, uh, I don't think my thought was anything... didn't do anything specific. Um, just looking at the general timeline between, you know, the transition from... Israel to the church age and the temporary role of the church as ambassadors and then passing that baton back to Israel at the end of the church age. So at the beginning of the church age, we know that um, because of the role that John the Baptist played, Jesus was able to say, you know, he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, um, meaning that, you know, he who, who lives in the... Uh, in the church age, is is um, is in a um, how do I say it? Is, is, you know, he who lives in the church age is in the church, and John the Baptist was not. Yet he was instrumental in bringing the church age about. Right, right. You know, clearing the path for for Jesus. 
Um, is there? A, I don't think there is an equivalent in the at the end of the church age, though. So it, it's not as if um, yeah, um, there's there's going to be time for um, well, you know, after the church age. So up until the rapture, anybody who believes will be part of the church. After the rapture, anybody who believes will. Um, uh, will be a believer. Uh, well, let me ask you this: Will they be a believer with the sin nature still in them, since they since they will not be baptized by the Holy Spirit and into the church? Yes, you you are, that's correct. You you said it correctly. Yeah, the sin nature is only removed by two ways. Uh, one is death. Okay. Uh, and the other is the baptism of the Spirit. There's no way to get the sin to change your nature other than dying. Okay, if you die uh, and you're a believer, obviously you will no longer uh, have the sin nature. And if you're absent from the body and present with the Lord, let's, even if you were in the Old Testament, you were going to paradise or whatever, you didn't go to paradise with the sin nature. Uh, so, uh, but, yeah, the people after the rapture will resort back to, if they're saved, they will be either saved Jews or saved Gentiles. So right now, if a Jew, mm -hmm. as we already know, we just kind of went through uh, 1 Corinthians 10, so we know there's a difference and a distinction uh, like when we read in mm -hmm. Revelation, where it talks about don't do anything until the servants of our God are sealed in their forehead. So notice, they're the servants of God, they're believers, and uh, they're Jews. Right? So they're, they make a distinction between 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, etc. So Jews are back on the scene, and what does... All of this talk about 12,000 from all these different 12 tribes, it is the forming of the nation Israel back in play. Now, some people think, you know, what happened in 1948 was the forming of national Israel. No, but Revelation 7 is the forming of national Israel. And if you go to Israel right now, the people there in charge... Uh, and the religious people there are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not. So if you didn't know that, then you, you ought to just understand that that is not a nation under God. But anyway, that's, you know, to your point, that is correct. Uh, sin nature, uh, they will continue to, to live like sort of Old Testament, except for the fact that they'll be under the New Covenant. Um, so that, that's also a difference that we could say uh, has an effect on them. Now, the, the effect in the millennium is different. This is, millennium is a different age, a new age, where he talks about he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And so that's a different relationship uh, 
that these, but it's still to the nation Israel, still to the Jews. Um, and but it's not just to the Jews; it says all. So there's some differences there that happen, but those differences don't necessarily tell us that these people are no longer uh, in the flesh any longer. That doesn't seem to be uh, the result of those changes. But I'll pause, see if you you have any other thoughts. I think that was it. Thanks, thanks for uh, elaborating on that. Oh, thanks for your thoughts. I appreciate it. We're, we're going to open the floor and see if there are others out there or any follow-ups. We'll keep the floor open for a moment just to see. If not, we I'll give you back some time. I will pause. All right. We will call it. All right. We will, we will let's have a word of prayer and we'll, I will give you back 15 minutes. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this evening. We thank you for the words that we found in Scripture and were able to think about. And we, we pray that uh, we approach them correctly, Father, and as that is the most important thought. As we come to you, we want to make sure that your Spirit has given us the proper meaning as, as to what we ought to think about these words. So we thank you for those who have participated, and we pray uh, you will keep watch between all of us and bring us back next week as we can continue on Sunday according to your perfect will. It's in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.